as Ben said, my name is Isaac, and I'm so glad that I get to be with you this morning, and I'm so humbled and so honored um, that Pastor George and, and you would just allow me to be here as we just learn from God's Word together. So this is, this is a little random, but recently I've gotten really into Survivor, and I know what you're thinking, right? You remember Survivor, that show that was like super popular in the early 2000s where people would compete on a deserted island for a million dollars, like that show? Like I know what you're thinking. One, you're thinking, is that show still on? Two, you're thinking, has it been on this entire time? And three, you're thinking, and people still watch it? Yes, apparently. See, what happened was uh, I came home a few weeks ago and a couple of my roommates were there watching the show. One roommate in particular, he's what you would call a super fan. Like, he's seen all 35 seasons over 17 years, right? That is commitment, right? That is commitment. So he's a super fan. So I'm watching this episode with them. And this, is, this particular season is intriguing for me because I actually went to college with one of the guys that's currently in the show. So, and I'm curious to see, like, how he's going to do. So I'm watching, and then after the episode finishes, uh, then we're there, and then we start talking about strategy and talking about what it would look like if we were in the show and how we would win a million dollars and compete in this challenge. But one thing in particular that I found really interesting is that, like, they're actually living outside for, like, up to 39 days. Like, that is not TV magic. It's actually happening. They're actually surviving and super hungry and stuff like that. Uh, So they're living outside, and one of the things that you do when you live outside is you have to start a fire, right? That's, like, super important when you're going camping is you start a fire. So on the show, whenever they start a fire, like, some of them, it takes a few days to get the fire going. And when they finally get it, they're, like, they're rejoicing. They're, like, high-fiving each other. They're, like, crying. You know, they're hugging. We have fire. We have fire. It is a really big deal when you start your fire. And one guy in particular, it was super impressive because he was like MacGyver. Like he just like got like his glasses and he used the sunlight and somehow just like started a fire without any flint or any, any fire starter. But why? Why do people rejoice so much whenever there's a fire? Because a fire, it signifies hope right? It signifies hope. Because when you have a fire, there's heat, right? Because they're outside, it gets cold outside. So when you have a fire, there's a lot of heat. Also, a fire signifies food and water. You can cook your food, and then you can boil your water, right? And then a fire also, it's, it's light. It illuminates all the area around us. See, actually in the show, they use this idea of a fire also as a metaphor for life. Because what they say is when they go to tribal council, and that's whenever they figure out who they're going to vote off, um, the, the host says this. He says, in the game of Survivor, fire represents your life. And he always does like this hand slap thing, but fire represents your life. And when, uh, if you, as long as you have fire, you are still in this game. And when your fire is gone, so are you. Right, that's, that's what he says. So, and then we all remember, you know, from the early 2000s that whenever somebody would get voted off, he would say the tribe has spoken and he would snuff out their fire and on, on their way that would go. So I say all that to say, I've actually applied and I'm going to be on the next season. Of, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not. That's not happening. No, no, no. no. I, I say all that to say, man, this morning we're continuing in our series Home with Hope. Right? We're continuing in, your, continuing in our series. And for our purposes today, I want us to think of hope like a fire. As you can see, we have a fire pit set up over here. I want you to think of hope like a fire, a fire that burns bright, a fire that burns passionately, right? A fire that burns, that blazes, right? And when the fire is burning, it illuminates 
all the area around it so that we can see clearly and we're not falling around in the dark and tripping over stuff. But here's the other thing about fire. A fire burns on what it's fed. A fire burns on what it's fed. You guys like candles, right? It burns on wax. It's this very sweet and pleasant aroma. What about a dumpster fire? That crap stinks, right? Like nobody, nobody wants to smell that. So the question that I want us to explore today is, man, what is, what is fueling your hope? What is fueling the hope, this fire that's in your heart? And what do we do when we feel like our hope isn't there? When the fire goes out, what do we do? So in order to properly explore this question, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. So if you have your Bibles or your apps, it's there in your sermon handout and your bulletin. Um, it'll be on the screens uh, behind me. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So in this passage, we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at hope, and we're going to look at holiness, right? So two things I want you to notice in this passage, hope and holiness. And we're going to put holiness off to the side for a second, and then we'll come back and pick it up. But man, let's explore this idea of hope. See, because Peter, in this passage, he talks about hope, and that's what we're talking about in this series. And last week, Pastor George, he gave us this definition of hope, and it's in your sermon handout that you have. And also, if you're a little um, OCD, I'm just letting you know we're going to skip over the big idea, but we will come back to it. It is not a blank that will be left blank, right? We will come back to it. But we're going to skip over it for now, and we're going to look at the definition. Because hope is the anticipation of God's goodness. Hope is anticipating God's goodness, right? Because hope is faith in the future tense. Because faith is basically we're trusting God. We're confident in God. We know that we can just trust God with all of our needs, that we don't have to worry about anything, right? That God's God is God. We trust God. That's faith. And hope says, man, I'm not just trusting God today. I'm also trusting God tomorrow as well and the next day, right? We have faith for the future. We have hope. We're faith now. We have faith now. We're confident now. See, and hope says, like, I'm not just confident in trusting God now. I'm going to be confident and trust God in the future as well. Because, guys, I have a faith. I do. I have a faith that this Wednesday at 7 o'clock, I'm going to be watching Survivor. Like, that's going to happen. I trust that that will happen. See, and I have a hope that next Wednesday, I'm going to watch Survivor, right? See, see how that works, faith and hope? Man, guys, I have a faith. I trust God to supply all of my needs today. Like, that is where my faith is. See, and I have a hope that I can trust God tomorrow and the next day. And the next day, which is Wednesday, Survivor. Like, I'm going to be trusting God then too, right? I can trust God and be confident in God for all of my needs. But why? Why can I trust God both today and tomorrow? Because God's good, right? Because God is good. In his goodness, that's where we can trust, and that's where we have hope. Hope is focusing on God's goodness. But the problem is that whenever we don't focus on God's goodness, and that leads to hopelessness. 
when we don't focus on God's goodness, that leads to hopelessness. And this is exactly what Pastor George was talking about last week. When he says, man, when you're not focusing on God's goodness and you're hopeless, this is what happens. You start claiming credit for things God did for you. You stop asking God for help. You stop trusting God in difficult times. You become pessimistic about the future. You're not hopeful about the future. You're pessimistic about the future, right? You're not hopeful, and that leads to to anxiety and fear and worry. See, and next week, Pastor George, this is exactly what he's going to talk about, this idea of hope and fear and worry and anxiety and how it all kind of fits together. But but for today, we're going to unpack hope even further. So we're going to look a few verses earlier, and it's there in your sermon handout. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, where Peter, where Peter sets up why we even have a hope in the first place, that where, where does our hope come from? All right, so we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, where he says, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So I want us to focus on this idea of a living hope. What does that mean? All right? Peter talks about this idea of a living hope that happens whenever we're born again. It's because hope is created in a new birth, in a new spiritual birth. So why, why is it a living hope? Have you ever guys ever witnessed a, like a, new, a newborn baby being born? <laughs> then what do they sound like? Like, Like they just start crying like uncontrollably. But why? That cry, that signifies new life. That cry signifies living. It signifies that somebody's alive, right? And in the same way, like our hope is that of a crying baby. And as we cry in our new hope, we say, man, I'm hoping in Jesus. See, it's a living hope because we are alive, because we have just been born. It's a living hope because we were dead, and now we've been made alive together with Christ. And we're not, we're not hoping in another person. We're not hoping in money. We're not hoping in our career. We're not hoping in our skills or our abilities. We're not hoping in our, in our mental capacity or mental ability. No, no, no. We're hoping in Jesus, right? Hope and new birth comes through the resurrection of Jesus. See, in this resurrection, it's the defeat of death, and it's the securing of life. See, Jesus defeated death for us. And because of that, we are alive in Christ. Because Jesus died and rose, our hope is in him and it's living. If your hope is in anything that's not Jesus, it's not a living hope. It's a dead hope, right? Putting your hope in anything that's not Jesus produces a dead hope because everything in this world is going to pass away one day. Everything will. Anything that you put your hope in that is not Jesus, it will pass away because the only thing that will last forever is Jesus and those that are with him. Because if your hope is in anything other than Jesus, it's a dead hope. It will die, and it will go away. I'll give you an example. Growing up, I I, I was a pretty good basketball player, right? Like, I I could hoop a little bit. I could score some buckets, right? So I grew up playing basketball, and my hope was that I would be a professional basketball player. That was my hope growing up, because I wanted to be in the NBA, right? The problem with that was that, man, coach, you didn't put me in the big game. Like, I would have made the big shot, and it's his fault. No, no, that's not what happened. What happened is I'm 5'10", right? That, that's what happened. And really, I'm not even using my height as an excuse. What happened is I'm just not good at basketball, right, or not as good as I hoped to be. Because on my, when I got to high school as a freshman, uh, I was on freshman B team, right? I, I didn't even make A team as a freshman. I was on freshman B team. And then my sophomore year, I didn't even make JV. I continued to be on the B team, like the sophomore, the sophomore JV B team. 
right? So th- that, that kind of cemented my dead hope in my career to be a basketball player. And then I basically started writing my epitaph of here lies Isaac's basketball career, 1998 to 2006. It was short, just like him, right? That was, that's what it would say. So, guys, everything we, <coughs> excuse me, everything we hope, everything hinges on the person of Jesus Christ. So how do you know if you have a living hope? How do you know? It depends on your answer to this question. Who is Jesus to you? Who is he? See, before he wrote this letter, Peter has this very interesting conversation with Jesus because they were traveling together, and then they were traveling with the disciples, and they were going into a new town, and Peter is there with Jesus, and as they're entering a new town, Jesus asks Peter, he's like, hey, Peter, man, what's, what's everybody saying about me? Like, who do they say that I am? And Peter responds to Jesus, and he says, man, Jesus, they're saying, you're, they're saying you're John the Baptist. They're saying you're Elijah. They're saying you're Jeremiah. They're saying you're one of the prophets. What Peter is saying is they're, they're, they're putting their hope in people that are dead, right, in dead people. But then Jesus asks Peter the most important question that anybody could ever ask somebody, where Jesus asks Peter, but Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds. He says, you are Christ. You are son of the living God, right? What Peter is saying is, Jesus, my hope is in you because you are alive and you will forever be alive, right? Peter put, put his hope in, in, in a live person, not a dead person. So who is Jesus to you? And here's the thing too, is that there's no hope for people that have not been born again in Jesus because their hope is not alive. Like if you're not, if you're not following Jesus, you have not been born again. There's no hope. See, but for people who have been born again, who have been transformed by Jesus Christ and have the Holy Spirit living within them, their hearts have a living hope. And Jesus isn't just saying, sorry, you aren't following me. Like, that's, that's bad. Like, you have no hope. No, what he's saying is he's offering his living hope to everyone. And Jesus' invitation to everyone is saying, hey, follow me. Follow me. And as you follow me, you will have a living hope. That's what Jesus is telling all of us together right now. So again, my question to us is, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? And here's, here's the other thing about hope, is that hope happens in your heart. Hope happens in your heart. Also in your heart is like all your feelings and your emotions and your affections, right? All of that is kind of stirred up in your heart. So in a sense, your hope that's in your heart is kind of stirred up with all your feelings and your affections and your emotions. So, but Peter he gives us a very clear command to set our hope fully. Peter says, set your hope fully. He's saying, have a full hope. So, and, and hope is, it's again, wrapped up with all our emotions and our feelings. So he, Peter is basically saying, hey, tell your heart to hope, which is basically saying the same thing. Hey, tell your heart to feel, <laughs> which, which I, don't know, I don't know if you guys have struggled with this, but how do you obey a command to feel? How do you do that? It's like, self, be happy right now, right? That doesn't, that doesn't work. It's very difficult to do. Like, have you tried that before? It's like telling, telling a middle schooler with all their emotions, like, hey, stop feeling emotional. Like, it just doesn't, that doesn't work out well for you, right? So our feelings aren't like a water spout that we can just turn on and off. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So how, how, how do we obey this command that Peter's saying? How do we obey a command to feel? How do we set our hope fully? Peter says, this. He's, you throw kindling on the hope fire of your heart. 
You throw kindling on the hope fire of your heart. And you do that with your mind. So as you can see, we have, we have this fire pit set up, right? And we have, we have the, this, and imagine this fire, this is the, the fire, this is, this is the hope, right? This is the hope that you have. And the fire, it blazes with hope, or it doesn't blaze hope. But what you do is whenever you're not, you're not blazing hope, you have to get your mind in the game. And the way that you get your mind in the game is you tell yourself of truth, and you get mind kindling, and you put it on the hope that's in your heart. So the fire can burn, right? So the fire can blaze, Right? And so what is it, what does Peter say in verse 13? He says, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. He says that in verse 13. Prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. But what does it take to stoke a fire? Have you guys ever gone camping, stoked a fire before? Like, wh- what does it take? You, you have to be alert, right? You have, to, you have to be mindful. You have to be paying attention. And you have to be ready. You have to know, like, what log to put when. You have to know what kindling. You have to, you have to be mindful and be alert. In, in this, like, you can't be drunk. He's, Peter's saying be sober-minded. And he, the way that he's saying that, it's not necessarily, like, drunk with alcohol. He's using that, like, as a metaphor, right? Just be, be sober-minded. Have a clear mind. In the same way that when someone is drunk, like, their mind is really cloudy and really hazy, Peter's saying, hey, don't be like that. Have a sober mind. Be clear-minded and prepare your mind for action. So we, we do that, but we think energetically, right? We think clearly, right? We, we can't be lazy. We're ready for action. So in the same way that you would be mindful of a fire to stoke it and so that fire can blaze, that's how our mind gets in the game so we can stoke this fire that's within our heart. So it's interesting, though, because hope happens in the heart. Peter tells us to use our minds to hope fully. But how do we do that? Like, what are the actual, like, log pieces that, that we're putting on with our mind into our hope fire? What are they? Well, we can look at verse 3, where he says, we, God, gives, God has great mercy, right? So that's what, that's what we set our mind on, is God's mercy for us. That God, he caused us to be born again, so we set our mind on this new hope that we have, this, this alive hope that we have for being born again. And we set our mind on the resurrection of Jesus. That is the most important thing that you could ever set your mind on, is the resurrection of Jesus, right? So if you're ever feeling hopeless, you get your mind in the game, just think about that Jesus is alive, right? Jesus is alive, our hope is in Jesus, and he is alive. And not only that, but we get to verse 4, and because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have this inheritance, meaning that in the next life, that whenever this life ends and we're in the next life, we're with Jesus, right? So our hope isn't necessarily in now that things are going to get better. Our hope is that when this world passes away, we have Jesus, and that's like the best thing that could ever happen to us. That's the good news. That's the gospel, is that we get Jesus, and we get to see Jesus face to face. And not only that, but God is keeping it. He's keeping our inheritance, and God, he's guarding it, and he's keeping our salvation. We throw hope kindling on the hope fire by using our minds, and remember that because of God's great mercy, we are born again into a living hope. So last week, Pastor George, he asked us to write things that we're grateful for, right? And he asked us to write them on social media. So I hope we're doing that, like writing things that we're grateful for on social media, using the hashtag, hashtag five grateful things, hashtag five grateful things. So in the same idea, if, if we are to take our minds and put them into action with clarity, the mind fuels the heart, right? And the heart is the affections, the emotions, like the, the feelings, 
So here's the big idea. So we're back in your sermon outline. The big idea. Hope in the heart burns on the fuel of the mind. Hope in the heart burns on the fuel of the mind. You use your mind to fuel your hope. You use your mind to fuel your emotions and your affections and your feelings. And this is way easier said than done, right? It's really easy to say, right? It's a lot more difficult to do. But man, it's possible. It is possible. Because for those of us that are in Christ, we have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us that guides us and leads us and empowers us to be able to use our minds to fuel our hope fire, right? We have the Holy Spirit that's empowering us to do that. And we do that, we use our mind to remember the truth, to set our mind on hope, right? And our mind is ready for action, and our mind is being clear and thinking with clarity, with a clear mind. So a a few years ago, I went camping uh, with some guys out in central Texas, and and we're there, and we were like hardcore roughing it, like no tents. We were outside, like we barely had sleeping bags. We were hardcore roughing it outside in central Texas. And and it was a little cooler, cooler, so we needed the fire to go on all night. So, so what we do is kind of on a rotation system to making sure that the, somebody was stoking the fire all night and, and we were there outside. And in central Texas, very prevalent is cedar wood. So we're there and before we kind of go to sleep, we get cedar wood and then we gather it. And now we have all the cedar wood ready, to, ready to, um, to stoke our fire with and to set our fire going. So the cedar wood is burning all night and I'm sleeping nearby the fire. So the entire night I'm just smelling smelling cedar wood, right? I, I'm just, and so now, to, because of that true story, because of that night, I have the smell of cedar wood ingrained into my brain. So now, anytime I walk up to a fire, like at somebody's house or, or like a bonfire or something, immediately I was like, yep, cedar wood. Like it's just, it's just ingrained in me now. Because fire burns on fuel. Fire burns on fuel. See, hope in our heart burns on the fuel of the mind. Hope starts with the mind and then blazes like fire in the heart. See, the mind, it gets all the reasons for hope, and then it brings them to the heart like kindling, right? So hope can blaze in the heart. Again, the big idea, hope in the heart burns on the fuel of the mind. So that's hope. Now, remember holiness? All right, we're picking that back up. So holiness, what is holiness? See, a lot of us, verse 16, I'll start here. Verse 16, uh, Peter says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. All right, and Peter, he's quoting God. That's not Peter saying that. That's God saying that. God is saying, hey, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So what is God's holiness? I almost, I almost titled the sermon, Holy Hope, Batman. Because like we, we use this word holy a lot. Or we, we say like, holy cow. Or we say, holy guacamole, right? So we hear this word holy a lot, but we may not know exactly what it means. But, but what is holiness? What is it? See, for many of us, like holiness, is, it refers to this idea of being good and morally upstanding. A lot of us like equate holiness with, with good behavior, right? So like, for example, if somebody's judging you or like they're behaving well and, and having good behavior and they perceive you to not be having good behavior and then they judge you for it and wag their finger at you, what do you say in response to them? Like, all right, Mr. and Mrs. Holier than thou, Right, just like, that's just what we say, right? So we think of holiness as a means of, of behavior. But that's not, that's not the fullest understanding. Because really, if you want to understand God's holiness, you have to think about him as creator, right? 
So I want you to imagine a circle that's right here um, on your left. Imagine this, this big circle. In this circle, this is God as creator, right? In this circle is God as a creator, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, being perfect, being whole, being complete as creator. And as creator, what did they create? Creation. So now let's imagine another circle over here. This is creation, right? And creation is every single thing that is not God because every single thing has been created by God. So this, this is angels, right? And this is, this, uh, this is demons. And this is even, even Satan himself was created uh, by God. And then this is uh, the earth, right? Things that we can see, things that we can touch, things that we can feel, the earth that we live in, right? So this, this is creation, So there's a few different views when it comes to creator and creation. You have some people that don't think that the creator exists. There there is no creator. It it is only creation. We would call these atheists, right? There is no creator. There is only creation. You have some people, especially those of the Hindu faith, that think that creator and creation are all together as one. So there's no distinction between creator and creation. So then you would say, well, you are God, and I am God, and the grass is God, and the cow is God, and the grasshopper is God, and don't step on that ant, you're stepping on God, right? That's that's kind of what, what, what people would say that believe in pantheism. So, but what the Christian worldview says is that there is a distinct separation between creator and creation. Now, so what do we know about creation? It is broken, right? I don't have to convince you of that. We just look around the world. We look at the news, right? We just see all over the over the summer, like the early fall, we have all these terrible things that happen with natural disasters and with like what happened in Vegas. And there is just death and destruction and sin and evil and impurity here in this world. So that is what our world is marked by. But God God is holy, meaning God is completely set apart from that broken world, that God is completely unique, that God is categorically different. It's helpful to think of God's holiness like the sun. So in in the context of our solar system, I want us to think of God's holiness like the sun. So the sun, man, the sun burns bright, right? The sun is powerful, right? The sun brings life and brings energy, and the sun is dangerous, right? If we were to be in the presence of the sun, we would burn up, right? So in the same way, if creation were to be in the presence of the creator, we, we would burn up because we're impure. Like we, our lives and our world is tainted and marked by sin and death and destruction. So God can't have, God is perfect and God is holy and God is good. So he can't have things that are evil associated with his goodness. So he set apart, Right? But, but God is loving, right? And God, he, he created creation. He wants a relationship with creation. So what did he do? God sent his son, Jesus, into creation to purify it. So Jesus comes on the scene, and then he starts purifying the world around him. And you know how he does that? He does it by loving and by serving. Right? So he has this, this, uh, this weird idea of, of this world that is marked by sin and death and destruction. And Jesus comes in. He's like, no, I'm going I'm to purify and I'm going to cleanse this world. So then, not only that, Jesus then takes on all the punishment on him. Right? So all this impurity, it's, it, Jesus takes it on and then he resurrects and he has a new life. 
and he invites all of us to live in his new life. So now our lives are no longer marked by impurity and death and destruction. Our lives are marked by the purity of Jesus. So all we have to do to be pure is follow Jesus. And then we, one, we get to have a relationship with God, our creator. And two, is we get to help bring life and flourishing that we're no longer harming creation. We're no longer bringing dis- destruction and death and evil to creation. It's the opposite. We're, we're bringing life when we're bringing flourishing. But what does our culture, what does our culture say about God's holiness? Does our culture like that idea? No, <laughs> no, because it, it doesn't, our culture does not set itself apart from the pleasures and destruction of this world. Instead, our culture dives in head first. Our culture doesn't look at God's holiness as a means to set them free. It looks at God's holiness as a means to tie them down and keep them from doing what they really want to do, right? Because our culture thinks that becoming a Christian and by following God and living in holiness is not going to lead to happiness, and it's a way to not have fun, Right? So it's like, it's like following God means you have to stop doing what you really want to do, and you have to do what God wants you to do because God's a fun-sucking military commander, right? That's what, that's what our culture thinks, and that whenever you start following God, you start having to obey all his rules, and it's not fun, and like, ah, I'm just going to stay away from that. And really, really, there's just no fire of hope burning to illuminate reality. So in ignorance, people walk in darkness and call it good. Right? Because when you're in darkness, you don't know that you're in darkness until you see the light. But if there's no light, you just keep walking in darkness in your ignorance. And maybe, maybe you've heard it phrased this way. Like as our culture just kind of embraces unholiness and embraces impurity and embraces death and destruction, our culture says that they wouldn't frame it like that. They wouldn't say that. What they would say is, I'm just following my heart. Right? I'm, just, I'm just doing whatever I want to do. Right? I'm not looking to God as a standard. I'm looking to myself as the standard. And as I look at myself as a standard, I look deep within me. I find myself, and then I just follow my heart. Right? That's what culture says to do. Or, or maybe any Roxette fans in the room that listen to your heart song, it's the same idea. It's the same idea. Because the, the culture, culture thinks this. The heart wants what the heart wants. But here's the thing, is that the heart doesn't want what it wants. Our heart wants what it's fed, right? Heart doesn't want what it wants. Our heart wants what it's fed. Remember, fire burns on the fuel. So people that feed their heart ignorance, it's going to produce a desire of ignorance. Because feeding your heart negative thoughts about your spouse, it's going to produce a desire to no longer be with your spouse, right? Or feeding your heart that your company owes you and you're very so uh, undervalued and you're so undercompensated and you're working so hard, it's going to produce a desire to steal from your company. Or like men, feeding your heart music that objectifies women or or images that objectify women, it's going to produce a desire that women are not people to love. They're they're things that satisfy your ignorant pleasures. That's how that works. So what happens when we follow our heart? What happens? Well, is it possible that sometimes our hearts want things that are not beneficial for us? Is it possible? And whenever we do things that are not beneficial for us, man, that doesn't, that doesn't lead to hope, right? You can't have a living hope outside of God's holiness because instead of walking apart from destruction and sin, man, we're just diving in and we're just feeding our hearts ignorance. Because, guys, there, there is no hope outside of God's holiness. 
his complete uniqueness outside of this world marked by sin. So again, the big idea continued is this. Hope in the heart burns on the fuel of the mind, which then leads to hopeful and holy living, right? So hope in the heart burns on the fuel of the mind, which then leads to hopeful and holy living. So do you want to have a hopeful life? Do you? Man, if you do, so how can we do that? How can we have a hopeful and holy life? Number one, so this is in your sermon outline. Number one, be hopeful. Be hopeful. So, So how can you be hopeful? You do this. Use your mind to fuel your hope. Use your mind to fuel your hope. So 1 Peter 1.13 says this, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because hope, hope burns in the heart, and with our minds, we fuel our hope. So, so in your mind, do you know the truth about Jesus? Right? What lies are you believing that's causing your hopelessness? Right? And how do you combat those lies with hope? And do you know what truth logs you need for you to set your hope in Jesus? Do you know? This may be helpful to you. Complete the sentence. See, everything that happens in the future will be okay because blank. So what's your blank? You know that everything, anything that happens in the future, like it's going to be okay because blank. Is it, is it your job? Well, you lose your job, you lose your hope. Is it your 401k or retirement? Man, market crash, no hope. And I know some of you are like, son, I got gold buried behind my house. Like you don't even know. So my question to you is, what's your address and what tree? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, or is, is your hope in your relationship, right? Like you, you lose your relationship, you lose your hope. Or, or maybe your kids, like they can't, they can't live up to your expectations. Like there goes your, there goes your hope. Or, or maybe you're just like, man, I'm breathing. I'm alive. Like, I have myself. Like, man, like, what if, what if you're not breathing anymore? Then, then, what, then what happens? Anything other than Jesus and his resurrection and your new life in him will lead to hopelessness, right? So be hopeful. And what fuel do you need to put on your hope? Number two, be holy. Be holy. So how can you be holy? You do it by this. Don't conform to your former ignorance. Don't conform to your former ignorance. So we look at 1 Peter 1.14 where he says this. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That's what my Bible says. I have the English Standard Version. But if you have the New International Version, the NIV, it says this. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Or maybe you have the NLT, the New Living Translation, that says this. Hey, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You, you didn't know any better then. Or maybe you have the, the KJV. Any, any KJV people in the room? Yeah, a few? Man, it says, not fashioning yourselves according to the former, former lusts in your ignorance. Man, the, the older I get, the more that I look back at my life and I look at how, like, some of the things that I did, and I think, I was an idiot. Oh, my God. Like, I thought that. I did that. Like, that's how I used to live. Like, oh, my God. Like, what was, what was I thinking? And you guys may be the same way, right? Like, you may look back at your life and you may think, what was I, what was I thinking? Like, why, why, why did I do that? 
because there is, there's an ignorance that, that we once had, right, when we were younger. See, and then passions grew out of that ignorance. See, and then the conformity to this world, it came from those passions, right? And now, and we're not, we're not conforming, and we didn't conform to the holiness of God. See, we, we conform to sin and rebellion. See, again, the, the world follows their heart and their feelings and their emotions, like no matter the consequences. See, there's no flame of truth. There's no flame of hope, right? It's just conform to their ignorance, right? So it's based on ignorance and not truth. And it's producing false and deceitful desires, which is then producing false conduct. And that conduct or behavior, man, it's unacceptable. It, it dishonors God, right? It's, it's ruined lives. It's brought eternal destruction. Because when, 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 when we don't have hope in Jesus, our hope, our hearts are filled with unhopeful feelings and emotions, and then we act on them. Like there is no fire of hope. Our, and hope is not illuminating the area around us so we can see. Like, that, that's not happening when we don't have hope. So, so perhaps in your former ignorance, man, what if maybe you did a lot of traveling for work? And, and then on the weekends, like, you would go to church, like, be the good Christian. But as traveling, like, away from home, man, there was just, like, double life that was lived, right? And then you're just hoping that they never, like, crossed or you got found out. Or maybe in your former life, like, there was anger, Right? You just lashed out at the people that you love the most. You're super irritable. Man, or, or maybe in your former ignorance, man, you were prone to go- lying and gossip. Like, like there was immense pressure to keep up the image, and you just kind of like led people to believe that you had a certain image, that everything was okay. And then like you subtly tore down other people just to make yourself feel better. Maybe it was that. Or maybe, man, maybe it was an eating disorder. Like when you were younger, like you struggled, struggled with eating or keeping food down, and then you had a lot of misconceptions like about, about body image. I mean, or maybe it was pornography. Like in your former ignorance, like you just looked and fantasized over explicit images. Like maybe that was your former ignorance. Man, so my question is, what, what were the passions of your former ignorance? Like I gave a, a few examples that it could have been, but, but what, what were they in your life? And number two, like, are they still present in your life today? Are, are the passions of your former ignorance still present in your life today? Because I don't, I don't know what your former ignorance is. I, I don't. And, and I'm not saying any of that to judge you or condemn you. In fact, I'm saying all that for the opposite. I'm trying to point you to the God that wants to set you free, right? That wants to give you a new life. That wants you to be born again and live in this new life that you have in holiness. Not marked by your former ignorance, but marked in the new life. That you have a full hope in walking in holiness, right? Because there's, there's a better life for you. Like you have hope in Jesus, right? So be holy. Be like God. And not only that, like you're not alone. See, because for those of us that are born again, our hearts are not filled with former ignorance, Our hearts are filled with the Holy Spirit. See, God himself is living within us and empowering us to live in holiness, right? We can't do this on our own. We can only do this with God and with his spirit living within us. So be holy. Are you keeping yourself from holiness by giving into your former ignorance? I'm going to close. I'll bring it all together, and then I'm going to share a personal story, and then we'll we'll wrap up. But I, I want you to notice how hope moves. I want you to notice. From the head to the heart to the feet. Hope moves from the head to the heart to the feet. Right, head. I mean, this is, this is what we think, right? We, we, gather, we gather kindling. We gather firewood. And, and then the kindling and the firewood, it's truth about our future. It, it's reminding us, like, what we can hope in. 
And then our heart, man, that's what we feel. And that's the fire of hope that blazes, right? We set our hope fully on grace. Like we feel it and we believe it. And feet, this is what we do. See, the blazing fire illuminates how we can be like Jesus, right? Because we are holy in our conduct and we're no longer pursuing our former ignorance. Instead, we're pursuing holiness. We are growing to be like God. So from a personal story, like I grew up in church, right? My, actually, not only that, like my, I'm a PK. My dad's a pastor uh, back, back home. So I grew up in church. I was like the really good uh, pastor's kid, right? I knew like all the Bible answers, all the Bible stories. And not only that, but I was just overall just the really good kid, um, so, like, for teachers in the room, like, I was the kid that you wanted to have in your class and you were excited <laughs> to have in your class, right? That, that was me. Uh, but also, I was very active in serving in church. So I, I was in um, the musical worship, so I played, I played drums and I, I played keyboard, and I was very active in church. But even though I was active in church, my hope was very dim, right? I, my heart was very far from God. I, I had a very dim hope. I I was not walking in holiness. I was walking in ignorance. So I go to college, still with a dim hope, and uh, my roommate, my freshman year, uh, he he claimed to be agnostic. And what agnostic is, is basically saying, like, there may be a God, uh, there may may not be a God, like, I don't know, there's not enough proof on on either side. So that's just kind of where he landed. Even though he himself also grew up in church, um, he just kind of claimed to be agnostic. So because my hope was dim, I didn't have any, really any, any hope to give him. And I knew that I probably should, you know, talk to, have a faith conversation with him at some point, or I should talk to him about Jesus, but I just, I just never really did for most of the year. Until God was like, no, this conversation's going to happen, so God made it happen. And the way that God made it happen is he had my roommate initiate the conversation with me. So this, this is April, so we've been living together now for almost eight months. You know, we're about to, we're about to leave in May, so we're, we're, our time together is almost over. And, and he puts a chair right next to my bed, and it's like 2 o'clock in the morning, and, and he's there, and he just plops a chair right next to my bed, and he starts asking me all these questions about Christianity, all these questions about faith, so at first, I was a little annoyed because I was trying to go to sleep. But then as I saw that he wanted to have, you know, a conversation about Jesus, and I thought, oh, I should probably, okay, this is cool. Like, I should probably have a conversation with him. But so he's asking me, like, every question that there is. Like, he's asking me questions about, you know, creation. And, like, is the earth young? Is the earth old? He's asking me questions about the Bible, about the reliability of Scripture. You know, he's asking me about the history of the church. Like, any question that you might have, like, he's asking me. And then he asks me the most important question that anybody could ask somebody. He asked me, Isaac, so why Jesus? Why Jesus? And again, I had a dim hope, and I just, I didn't, I just couldn't give him a good answer because for me at that time, Jesus was basically a get out of hell card, right? Like I have Jesus, so I don't have to go to hell. Like yeah, that, that's who Jesus was to me, right? I didn't tell him. I wish I could have told him that man. Like we are, we are impure. We are sinful, right? We we are we are unrighteous, and we 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 live in this rebellion. But Jesus came and he, he made us pure. He took on our impurity and we take on his purity, right? And because of that, we're able to have a relationship with God the Father, right? And we're able to have this full hope. Like I wasn't able to tell him any of that. So instead, what I told him was, I know it sounds cruel, but that's kind of just the way it is. I just got to follow Jesus. I don't really know why. But seriously, that's what I told him. And as I was telling him that, I, it was the most humbled and humiliated that I felt in my entire life. 
because here I am saying that Jesus is my faith and I can't even articulate kind of a good reason for why I believe in Jesus because my hope was so dim, right? I, I couldn't, I just, I just didn't, I didn't know and I was so humbled and so kind of humiliated that I couldn't give him a better answer. So because of that, we graduated and the semester finished. So I go home continually playing the conversation over and over and over and over again in my mind. So I get home and God, man, God is so gracious. So what God did is he put this like desire within me. It's like, man, I need, a, I need to know what I believe here. Like I say, I'm a Christian. I need, I need to figure that out. So I need to give, I need to know whenever somebody asks me, Jesus, I need to know what to say. So, so God put this desire within me just to grow in knowledge, to get my mind in the game, to know, man, what do I actually believe? What, what, what kindling do I have for my hope? And then as God did that, he put this desire in me to, to study the Bible more and to learn more, more theology, learn more about God. And as I'm doing that, my hope fire, man, it just starts blazing. It starts growing and growing and growing. And, and now man, I hope that my life is marked by this fire, the hope fire that blazes and just illuminates all the areas around me so that I could continue to walk in holiness. And not only that, not only is my hope for me, but I hope that as my hope fire is illuminating, that it's blazing and illuminating the area around for others as well so they can see the light, so that I can offer the hope that I have to others, right? So what would, what would your life look like if you had hope burning bright, if it was fueled by the truth of your mind, right? Guys, imagine how many people that we could impact with the gospel, and offer them hope through Jesus Christ. See, there's a lot of people that are walking in darkness with no hope. But, but being like Jesus, man, let, let's walk in holiness and it'll spread his hope to everybody. So you were, you were handed a match when you walked in. Um, and I hope that you haven't like burned any pews or anything. But you were handed a match uh, when you walked in. And the reason you did that is because if it's helpful to you, you can write today's date on it. And as you write today's date on it, it's just a commitment to be hopeful and be holy. Be hopeful, fuel hope with your mind. And be holy, follow Jesus and spread his holiness to your community, right? And your neighbors and your coworkers and spread hope to everybody that you come in contact with for his glory and for your good. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for your steadfast love. God, I thank you for your holiness, God. I thank you that you are holy, that you were completely set apart, that you were unique, that you were the greatest thing ever. God, and because of your greatness and because of your goodness and because of your holiness, God, we are able to have a new life. And in our new life, God, we have a full hope that's in you. God, so I pray that this week, God, we can be reminded of our hope that is in you. And we can be reminded of the whole, of, to walk in holiness, God, to grow in holiness, to grow to be like you. So thank you, Jesus, for putting your spirit within us, for sending your spirit that lives within us and dwells within us and empowers us, God, just to live a holy life. God, so I pray that we can have hope, not just for ourselves, but we can offer your hope to others. We pray all these things in your name.